Well, if you have a Bible with you or a device with a Bible app on it, I want to invite you to get those ready. I want you to go to two passages with me. Uh, Find your way to Luke chapter 2, if you will. Uh, That's a version of the Christmas story. And then also I want you to find your way to Genesis chapter 22. You can hold your spot there and we'll get there in a few moments. Now, if you're here and you don't have anything with you, it's all good. No worries. You can follow along with me on the screens, all right? Listen, I still remember the first time someone asked me if I had ever been saved. I was hanging out with one of my boys from the neighborhood. I was a kid at the time, and we were in his backyard jumping on his trampoline, and he hit me with the question, James, have you ever been saved? Well, look, I had no idea at that point in my life what my friend was talking about, but I didn't want him to know that, so I made up a lie right there on the spot, and and here was my story. I said, yeah, man, absolutely, I've been saved. Listen, not long ago, my parents, they, they took me swimming. I was in this pool, I'm I'm going at it, I got really tired, started to sing, lifeguard jumps in and saves me. Now listen, I was really impressed uh, to have that kind of ability to pop a lie off the top of my head like that, but my friend, he was really confused, and I could tell by the look on his face, and, and he looked at me and he went, James, that's not what I'm asking, what I'm asking is, has Jesus ever saved you? Now listen, that was a weird question for me. It was a question that I didn't know how to answer in that moment. And maybe you're the person in the room tonight that can identify with that. Like maybe that question for you, has Jesus saved you? It's a really strange question. And here's the honest reality. It's a strange question because uh, maybe you're not sure why you need Jesus to save you or what it is you need him to save you from. But look, if that's you, here's what I want you to know. Uh, Even though that question may be a strange question, it's an important question. In fact, it's the most important question that you'll need to answer in your lifetime. And the season that we're currently in, the Christmas season, reminds us of just how important this question truly is. You see, I I don't know if you realize this or not, but Christmas is about so much more than you and I celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago a baby was born. A baby who would grow up and become a moral man, a powerful teacher, and a great example on how to live our lives. Look, instead, Christmas is about us celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born. A Savior whose name is Jesus. A Savior who would alter the course of human history forever. Now look, if you've got your Bibles open to Luke 2, we're going to read some verses from the Christmas story together because I want you to see that I'm not just making this whole Savior thing up when it comes to Jesus. The Bible actually uses that language to describe him at his birth. So if you're already there, I want you to check out Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. And in the same region, that's the region where Jesus was born, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You'd be scared too if you're hanging out in the middle of the night with a bunch of animals out in a field by yourself, and the sky's open. It's like a scene out of X-Files, right? Here comes this being towards you, and he starts to speak. But the angel says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, oh what? What's the word? A Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now look, in my mind, this passage should leave us asking a couple of really important questions. One, 
What does the Bible mean when it calls Jesus our Savior? And then secondly, why is this news about Jesus being our Savior such good news that should bring us all great joy? Well, we're going to answer those questions, uh, but we're going to do something a little unconventional in order to answer them. We're going to leave the Christmas story behind, and we're going to dive into this story from Genesis chapter 22. This is a really interesting story. Uh, It's a story in which God comes to a man named Abraham, and he asks him to do something unthinkable. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now Isaac was the son that God had given Abraham in his old age to fulfill a promise to him. You see, God had come to Abraham and and he had told him he was going to use him to father a great nation of people that would one day be called Israel. But, but here was the problem. Abraham, he was way past his baby-making days, if you know what I'm saying. And so God had to supernaturally intervene. He gave him this son. And so you can only imagine what must have been going on in Abraham's mind, right? We can put, himself, or put ourselves in his shoes and, and think about it. Like if I'm Abraham, I, I might have been wondering, God, why would you make a promise to me to have all these descendants, give me a son in order to fulfill the promise, and then come back and ask me to sacrifice that son? It's crazy, isn't it? Look, here's what's crazier. Abraham said yes to God. He obeyed God. In fact, the the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us that Abraham had so much confidence and trust in God that he believed even if Isaac died in that moment, that God would be faithful and bring him back from the dead in order to keep his promise. So Abraham, he saddles up his donkey, he grabs his firewood, he gets his boy, and they set out to the place that God told him to go. Now, I know that a story like this could potentially raise a lot of questions in some of our minds, especially if we're new to this whole church Jesus thing. And look, here's the bad news. They only give me like 25 minutes at Christmas, so I don't have time to answer all the questions, okay? I'm going to leave a lot out. I'm going to skip over a lot of the story, but I believe that's okay, and here's why. Because more than anything, what I want you to see tonight from this Old Testament story is this. I want you to see how it foreshadows what the God of the universe planned to do for us through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, this story is a beautiful picture of God's provision and grace toward us as sinful people, and it gives us great clarity into exactly what Jesus saves us from, what he saves us to, and how he goes about saving us. So if you're there in Genesis 22, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 9. Here's what the Bible says in that one verse. It says, when they, that's Abraham and Isaac, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and what's the word? What did he do? He bound, that's a really important word for the next few minutes, so don't forget it, all right? He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Uh, When I was in high school, I remember going to summer camp one year, and some buddies of mine decided to play a prank on one of our friends. Uh, They let him go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, they got him out of bed, and they saran wrapped his entire body from the neck down, all right? And then they drug him outside, they laid him on the deck of the swimming pool, and they left him there. It was incredible. I'm just telling you, it was awesome. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been saran wrapped, but saran wrap, when it's covering your entire body, it's strong. There's not a lot of places you can go when you're saran wrapped from the neck down. So my buddy, he was completely helpless. He couldn't move, he couldn't get himself up, he couldn't get his arms or legs free. Look, he laid there until someone eventually came along, found him, cut the saran wrap off of him so that he could go free. 
I have to imagine that may have been what Isaac felt like in our story. The Bible again says he was bound. He's on top of this altar. He's facing death. He's completely helpless. And he can't free himself. And here's what I want you to know. Don't miss this. The Bible teaches that we're all bound in a similar way, in a spiritual sense. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says it like this. He says that apart from Jesus Christ, we are all slaves to sin. Meaning that spiritually, we're helpless. Sin, it's holding us captive. There's nothing you and I can do to free ourselves from the grip that sin has on our lives. And some of you, you get this, don't you? You get it because you've lived it. Or maybe you get it because you're living it right now. Like, for example, maybe the thing that's keeping you in bondage, the sin that has its grips on you, is, is an attitude or some kind of desire. Maybe something like pride, anger, lust, something like that. And it's not that you want to be a prideful, angry, lustful person. And if you were honest, you'd say those attitudes and desires are wrecking your life, aren't they? They're impacting your marriage. They're impacting your work life. They're impacting your friendships. They're impacting your joy. But here's the problem. You can't break free. It's almost like these things have you. They won't let you go. You're in bondage to these attitudes and desires. It's almost like you're their slave. Maybe for some of us, uh, the sin that we're in bondage to is some kind of addiction to a substance. And it's not that you want to be addicted to a substance, but it has you. you. You've tried to break free from it on your own, but nothing seems to be working. And every day you live is like the day before. You keep running back to the same old stuff, even though you don't want to. It has you in bondage. Maybe for others of us, the sin that has us in bondage is, is something that happens in secret, behind closed doors, right? It's that thing that you keep saying you're never going to do again. Last time was the last time. And then what happens? Some time goes by and you do it again. You want to know why? That's the power of sin in your life. Apart from Christ, we are in bondage. We are slaves. There is no freedom when it comes to slavery, Listen, if I'm talking to you, if you can identify with what I'm preaching uh, in any way, here's the first thing I want you to know about Jesus, what he saves us from and what he saves us to. Jesus is our Savior, saves us from bondage to freedom. You see, when you call on Jesus to be your Savior, this is what you're declaring to be true about him, that he is both powerful and able enough to rescue you out of the bondage of sin and slavery and to put your feet on a path that leads to freedom. Look, I, I want to tell you, whatever that thing is in your life that's holding you in bondage, you can try to get free from it all you want on your own, and it'll never work. Like, try to be a good person. Pursue morality. Come to church every week. Get involved in every religious activity under the sun. If you try to break free apart from Jesus, you'll fail every time. And you want to know why? Because bound people can't unbind themselves. Bound people always need someone else to come along and unbind them. And in a spiritual sense, the person we need to unbind us from the bondage of sin is Jesus. Only Jesus can free us. Only Jesus can, can rescue us from, from sin that holds us captive. Only Jesus can give us the joy and freedom that some of us so desperately want and need. Jesus saves us from bondage to freedom. Now, don't forget that, right? Keep that in the back of your mind. It's important, but I want us to keep going. I want you to see what happens next in the story. Go back to the scriptures. This is verse 10. The Bible says, then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
And this angel of the Lord says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This past month, we've been in a teaching series here at our church called Old Testament Jesus. And we've just been walking through Old Testament stories in which Jesus made physical appearances here on the earth. And I've been reminding our church all month long that these Old Testament appearances prove a truth that is foundational to our faith. And here's the truth. That Jesus Christ is not a created being like you and me. Like we could say Christmas is Jesus' birthday all we want, right? But, but the reality is Jesus was alive and well long before that first Christmas morning. He is, in fact, who the Bible teaches him to be, the eternally existing Son of God. Now, look, I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus, in the passage we just read, he made an appearance. You see, in the Old Testament, when he would show up, many times the Bible would refer to him as the angel of the Lord, And that's exactly who shows up in Genesis 22. Again, don't miss the scene, right? Isaac's bound. He's on the altar. He's facing death. His dad is standing over him, knife in hand. And Jesus, the Savior, shows up at just the right time to rescue him. Look, here's the next takeaway if you're taking notes. I want you to know that Jesus is our Savior, again, has the ability and the power to save us from death to life. This is what we confess when we confess Jesus as our Savior. He saves us from death to life. Now look, let's have a moment of honesty really quickly because I want to unpack this and and talk about what it means. Uh, We all know we're going to die, right? I mean, it's no secret. We might not want to think about it or talk about it, but it's all coming for us. Statistics still prove that one out of every one person dies. It's hard to believe but it's true. It's all coming. You want to know why we're going to die, all of us? Because we're all jacked up sinful people, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death. I don't think anybody wants to get on the stage and argue with the rest of us about how perfect and sinless we are. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of being the people that God created us to be. So we're all going to die. Can I ask you a question? Does that scare you at all when you think about that? Like when you think about the fact that your life is going to end one day and you don't know when that day is coming for you, what does that do inside of you? Does it create fear in you? Look, the only people that should fear death are those people who have never called on Jesus to be their Savior. And look, if that's you, I want to say a couple things to you out of love and concern for you, all right? First, I want you to know that the Bible teaches your sin will not only lead you to physical death, But apart from Christ, your sin leads to spiritual death. Meaning that when your life is over here on the earth, you will go into eternity and spend the rest of your existence outside the presence of God, suffering the penalty that your sin requires. And I also want you to know, you can't do anything to save yourself from that kind of death. You can't be a good enough person. You can't follow enough rules. You can't come to church uh, uh, enough. It doesn't matter if you don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with people who do, right? You, You can't do anything to save yourself from spiritual death. Gaining eternal life has nothing to do with you standing before God one day and hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad. It doesn't work like that. Gaining eternal life has everything to do with you choosing in this life to call on Jesus as your Savior. And here's the beautiful news. You ready? When you do that, you no longer have to fear death. You see, Jesus is stronger than death. 
And he proved that through his resurrection, which means that when you call on him as your savior, Jesus intervenes for you in the same way that he intervened for Isaac. And at just the right time, he rescues you out of the grip of death. And even though you're going to face physical death, it becomes nothing more than the doorway into your eternal life with Jesus, your savior, if in fact you know him. That's good news, right? Now, now look, look, the next question we need to answer is this, and it's an important one. How does Jesus pull all this off for us? I mean, if Jesus really can save us from spiritual bondage and lead us into freedom, if he really can save us from from death and, and usher us into new and eternal life, how does Jesus pull it off? Well, we find clarity on the answer in verse 13. Go back to the Bible with me, this, this passage, and check this out. The Bible says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So here's the answer. How does Jesus save us? We get a picture of it here. You can write this down if you're taking notes, and we'll unpack it. Jesus saves by substitution. How does Jesus save? He saves by substitution. Uh, Do you remember back in your school days when you'd walk in class, and there'd be a substitute teacher there? And I know some of you, you're still in school, so this applies to you now. But do you remember that? And look, if you're a substitute teacher in the room, God bless you. Um, Just know our church, we're praying for you. I know on substitute teacher day, kids behave as poorly as humanly possible. So we're pulling for you. We got your back, all right? But, But look, what's the job of a substitute teacher? Is it not to fulfill the requirements of the normal teacher? To show up and to do what needs to be done for the students on the teacher's behalf. That's the idea of substitution, right? Well, listen, we see that same idea of substitution playing out in the verse we just read. Verse 13. Again, the scene is Isaac's on the altar. He's bound. He's helpless. He's facing death. Jesus shows up at just the right time to rescue him. And he provides a substitute. This ram. This male sheep that Abraham then takes, sacrifices, and kills in his son's place. Church, this is exactly how Jesus saves us, by substitution. And here's what's amazing. The substitute that Jesus provides for you and me is himself. You see, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to the earth on that first Christmas morning, he came as our substitute so that he could eventually become our Savior. Jesus came to live the life that none of us have been able to live, a life of sinless perfection. That's the life God required of us, and we've all blown it, right? And so Jesus stepped forward and said, I'll I'll substitute myself. I'll, I'll go live that life on their behalf. And at the end of his sinless, perfect life, Jesus substituted himself for us again. For six hellish hours, Jesus hung on a cross. And the Bible says that God took all of our sin off of us, past, present, and future sin, placed it onto Jesus, and punished him in our place for our sins so that you and I wouldn't have to walk in spiritual bondage, that we could know freedom and new life. And after Jesus suffered the punishment that our sin required, he died physically. Even though Jesus was sinless, And had no reason to die, Jesus chose to give up his physical life. And you want to know why he did that? So that after three days, he could raise from the dead to conquer death on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to fear death, but we could know and experience new and eternal life in him. Church, that's what Christmas is about. 
That's what we're here to celebrate. Again, it's, it's more than just, all oh, great, a baby was born. It's not a Savior has been born. A Savior who was willing to substitute his life for ours so that we could be loved and accepted by God. That's what we're here to celebrate. Now, I know at this point in the message, some of us, we may still be a little skeptical, right? Well, can Jesus really do all that in the life of a person? I mean, it sounds great. sounds awesome. Jesus really powerful enough to pull people out of sin and bondage and death and all that stuff. Maybe you're skeptical because uh, you walked in the room tonight and, and you're looking back at your past. You're looking at mistakes you've made, the person you've been, the person you are now. And you're thinking to yourself, well, James, if you only knew me, bro, and my story, you'd know Jesus couldn't do something like that in my life. Well, look, if you're skeptical in any way of what Jesus can do to save you from whatever it is you need saving from, here's what I want to do. I, I want to share with you a story a story that beautifully illustrates what Jesus is capable of in the life of a person who calls on him to be their savior. So I want to invite you to turn your attention toward the screens and let's watch this together. My name is Amy Clackham, and this is my story. My birth mother was 15 when she found out that she was pregnant with me. She was scared and seriously considered abortion, but the pastor at her church counseled her out of it. My parents were unable to have children, and they adopted me when I was six days old. I was adopted into a French-Hispanic family with a strong emphasis on Hispanic. Um, here I was, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl not fitting in at all. In fact, my cousins made sure to tell me that I obviously did not belong in that family. Um, all that did was really add to the hurt and the wounding that I already felt being adopted and feeling abandoned and rejected. As I grew up, that pain got stronger and um, I struggled to know what to deal with it. I began becoming a two-faced person. I was raised in church and had parents that loved me and I knew all the right answers on the outside. And then deep inside, I had hate and anger and hurt and just darkness overflowing inside of me. Not knowing what to do with that, I became a cutter and a self-wounder. I used to keep a baseball bat underneath my bed and when the pain would get to be too much, I would beat my thighs black and blue. I didn't know what else to do. When I was 17, I became sick, and we had to reach out to my adoption agency for some information in my file. Um, at that time, I found a picture of my birth mother, and it's the first time that I'd ever looked like anyone in my entire life. After a lot of seeking and begging my parents, I was able to actually meet my birth mother at 17. And I just knew that meeting her would fix all of those deep, dark, broken places, but it didn't. Um, in fact, it confused me even more that even though I understood why she gave me up and that she loved me dearly, um, the hurt never went away. By the time I was 14, I had already become sexually active. I was drinking. Um, I was doing whatever I could to be accepted by the people that I was around. I certainly didn't set out to do that, um, but. It, I didn't feel like I could stop it once I was there because I so desperately did not want to be rejected. Um, fast forward to college, and I was on a pretty destructive path. 
I was drinking, sleeping around, not remembering the night before, and um, in a very bad place. I um, had developed a relationship with my birth mother. At the time, I would go visit her. And right before I went to visit her, when I was 21, my boyfriend and I began looking at engagement rings. He lived with me, and he decided that we should get married. And I, I thought I was used up. I thought that I was worthless to me and to anyone else, and so I should probably jump at the chance to marry anybody. And so we began to do that. When I shared that with my birth mother, she really got in my face and said, I do not see God in your life. Where is he? He wasn't. I told her in no uncertain terms to get out of my face, and I got on a plane to come back home. When I sat down on the airplane, I sat next to a woman named Althea, and the very first words that she said to me were, before you even think about marrying that man, you better get right with God. I was shocked and terrified and loved all at once. I couldn't believe that God would put someone in my path to stop me from going the direction that I was going. Um, I knew that that was one of those moments in life where I had to make a choice, and whatever choice it was, it's the path that I will be on forever. Um, at that moment, I chose to ask Jesus as Savior of my life. I had prayed a prayer when I was four, but there was no evidence of that in my life anywhere. There was no fruit, there was no, God wasn't anywhere to be found until that moment. That's the moment where Christ became my Savior. I spent the rest of that plane ride singing and praying and probably driving everybody crazy that was around me. But my life changed. I went home, kicked the boyfriend out, and began seeking God. Then September 11th happened, and I sought refuge at a church near the college that I was staying at. There I met an old co-worker who invited me to a small group, and it was in that small group that I met my husband, Nathan. Nathan and I began to date in a way that actually honored God, which was a first for me. And we were married in 2003. Through marriage and life, there have been struggles, there have been good times and bad times, hard times, times when we couldn't get pregnant with our precious daughter that we have. But Christ being the foundation of both of our lives and the foundation of our marriage has made the difference for us making it. I know that when my birth mother chose to give birth to me, she allowed me to live. But I believe it was not until I gave my entire life to Jesus as my Savior that I had life. It overflows from inside of me, um, and it has been healing those hurtful places. It's not a quick process, but um, day after day, the more that I give him of myself, um, the more healing I receive in these places that are painful. If if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, or if you think you've tried it before and it wasn't for you, don't go with man's version of who Jesus is, the head knowledge that I had for the longest time. When you go to Christ, and when you receive him as your savior, he changes you from the inside out, and you'll never be the same. tonight as that person who's never called on Jesus to be your Savior, 
Jesus. And I, I want to say something to you. I, I don't believe you're here tonight by accident, not by any means. I believe that God brought you here. I believe that tonight for you may be God's way of stepping into your path to stop you from continuing down the road that you're on. I believe God brought you here so that I could tell you that he loves you more than you could ever comprehend. That it's not your job to fix your life. It's not your job to clean yourself up. It's not your job to make up to him for all the mistakes you've made. Jesus wants to do that for you. And he can do it for you. You see, God loves you so much that again, 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to be your savior. And that savior wants to meet you tonight right here where you are in spite of who you are. And he wants to save you from whatever it is you need saving from. Your only job is to say yes to him, to call on him as savior. Can I ask you this question? If you know you need to do that, why would you say no? I mean, can you imagine if... Genesis 22, Isaac would have said no to the substitute that was provided. Now, Dad, I got this. I'll, I'll die. I'll take one for the team. We would think he was out of his mind, right? Like, why would you say no to the one who substituted his life for yours so that you can walk in freedom and new and eternal life? If you need to say yes to him, now's the time. Tonight's the night. Don't put it off. Don't wait till tomorrow, next week, years from now. If you need to call on him, now is the time. And I want to help you take that step. If you need to take it.